of September already. Can you believe that? And you can tell that it's the fall season. In fact, tonight at sunset, who knows what happens at sunset tonight? It's the beginning of the Jewish New Year. It's the beginning of the fifth of the seven Jewish feasts, Rosh Hashanah. So Monday, tomorrow, well, it's almost that in Israel now because they're six hours ahead. So at sunset, it's probably sunset in Jerusalem. They're beginning to, to blow the trumpets. They're beginning to blow the shofar, the ram's horn, signifying the beginning of the new year. And, of course, the Feast of Trumpets is so significant when it comes to the church. And we're going to be looking at that today. We've been, this whole month, this, uh, talking about the harvest and the, about the harvest year. So I'm just going to continue that. Amen. Our scripture today, our focus scripture again is from John 4.35. Say, naughty, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold. I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields, for they are white already, ready to harvest. You know, the one thing we can know for sure is that we don't know the day or the hour. I said last week, if we knew for sure it would be next week or one month from now, we would live our lives so differently. Some of us with a smile. (laughs) Some of us with a smile. You know, when I think of all the things I wouldn't have to do, (laughs) probably wouldn't go to work tomorrow. You know, the the, the people who win those uh, big mega millions or whatever it is, uh, they don't go into work usually, right? They they disappear. Amen. Just like the rapture. We, we, We have got the biggest jackpot coming. Amen. We have got the biggest promise coming. Amen. And that's what we're going to look at. And of course, as I said before, the way God taught the children of Israel, because they were not, for the most part, a literate people, uh, they had been in slavery. So instead of giving them a written Bible, he gave them ceremonies. And each ceremony symbolized a prophetic fulfillment. And we went over this uh, last week, but I'll just go over it again. The Passover, which was in Exodus 12... And then the very next day, unleavened bread, which symbolized sinlessness. And then we had the first fruits on the third day of the barley. And then there's a gap of of, uh, two months, and then we have Pentecost. And then there's a gap of four months, and then we have the last three feasts, which starts tonight at sunset, the Feast of Trumpets. And then ten days later... We have the holiest day, as far as the Jews look at it, the Day of Atonement. And then after that, five days after that, they have the last one, which is called Tabernacles. So those are the seven feasts that God gave the Jews. Or really, they were appointments. Appointments. In the Hebrew, the word is moed, and it means an appointment. You know, we have some appointments to keep. The Bible says, appointed unto men once to die. And then the judgment. Everyone is going to meet that appointment. You're not going to be late for that appointment. David said, teach me to number my days. I did that once and it was scary. (laughs) It's scary, right? I think it was 21,000 and something already for me. I don't know about you. You ever numbered your days? Because 70 is 25,000. So 
I didn't have a whole lot longer to go. And it says, if by reason of strength, four score. So I know that I have come a lot farther than I have to go. Amen. Amen. But you know what? As I said, if I knew the Lord was coming tomorrow, boy, I'd be so happy. I would really be selfish but happy. Because it would get me out of so many things. But God is so merciful. He would that none be lost. That's why he's extended the time to the very last minute. So these feasts portray God's total plan of salvation. Starting with Passover, which was the redemption from the grave. Right? Passover was not really a sin offering per se. It was a redemption of the firstborn. The lamb was given in place of the firstborn. It represents our redemption from hell, from death. Then unleavened bread, signifying Jesus' sinless nature. And then on first fruits, and I know I'm recapping this so you really get it. On first fruits, he was the first fruits from the dead that was never going to die. Now in the Bible, there are 11 resurrections, I believe. But all of those people died again, except for one, Jesus he was the first fruits of them that were never going to die again. He was the, 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 the first fruits of the barley. Then we have about 50 days, right? 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. And then as it says in the book of Acts, there came a sound as of a mighty rushing wind and it filled all the house. And then was poured out God's Holy Spirit. And for the first time in 4,000 plus years, there was again sons of God. Jesus was the second uh, man, Adam, the second son of God. But apart from him, there hadn't been a son of God since Adam. But because of his death on Calvary, God poured out of his spirit. Peter said, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that upon my sons and daughters, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And the interesting thing, as I told you before, that the name of the Jewish month in which Passover, um, Pentecost happens is called Sivan. And it means the covering. So in the month of the covering, God gave us his covering. No coincidence. No coincidence. And then there is four months until we come to what's happening tonight at sunset. The Feast of Trumpets. When they would blow the trumpets on that day. And they would blow a special trumpet called the last trumpet, which was a, a, they had a, a series of short blasts and a, a long blast. And then, then there are ten days that the Jews call the days of awe, where they, they consecrate themselves, coming up to the, to the day of atonement. And then finally, tabernacles, which is God dwelling with men. In, in Isaiah it said, and thou shalt, a young virgin shall conceive and shall call his name Emmanuel meaning God with us. And so these seven feasts pro- portray God's total plan of redemption for mankind. And they're all important. You can't say one is more important than the other. But the one that actually deals with the sin problem, uh, finally, now Passover starts it because we are, we are saved now by faith. Right? We're saved by faith. Uh, we don't have the fullness of it yet. We're still dealing with this flesh. We can still uh, mess up. We can still do things. But when that is finally finished is on the atonement ceremony where, we, where, where the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Amen. So we're going to look at this in more detail. This whole series has been the harvest. And what I, 
what I, uh, I brought forth, which is probably different from what is the common teaching, is that there was not one harvest. In these seven feasts, three of them were designated as harvest festivals for different uh, grains and fruits. The first one, as you know, Passover was the, the barley, which represents the Jews. The second one on Pentecost was which grain? The wheat. I'm glad you guys are knowing your stuff. Amen. And then the last two was the oil and the wine. And that comprised the harvest year. And last week we showed from Scripture that the Bible gives us the end and the beginning. Amen. And we're going to look at that again. So each one of those three harvests represents a resurrection, a bodily resurrection. In Matthew 27, 52, when Jesus arose, it says, And the graves were opened, and many souls, spirits, no, it says bodies. And that was the first fruits of the Jews. And we spent a whole lesson last week explaining who they were. The Bible tells us who they were in Revelation. It says, and he saw 144,000. And it gives us some strange definition about these special people. It says they were virgins. They were sinless. They, they were innocent. And the only people who can fit that description today would be the baby. And we went into the scripture that showed that these were the babies that were killed when Jesus was born. Herod, Herod commanded that every baby should be killed from zero to two years old. That's why in Isaiah it said, who shall declare his generation? Because when Jesus came back to Nazareth, there was probably no children for a gap of two years below him or above him. These were the, the babies that were killed. They were innocent. They were sinless. And so this was the first fruits from the grave. And the Bible tells us they're all Jews because it says 12,000 from each tribe. And that's why when Jehovah's Witness come and knock and tell me about the 144,000, I always ask them, so which tribe are you? <laughs> And they can't tell me, of course. So the Bible tells us there was a bodily resurrection when Jesus arose. It says, and not everybody, it says, and certain. It says, and the graves were and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves at his resurrection. And then Isaiah 26, 19 reinforces that. It tells us that when Jesus arose, there would be a bodily resurrection. In Isaiah 26, 19, thy dead men shall live, speaking to the Jews, together with my dead body shall they arise. Isn't that awesome? So in the seven feasts, God also laid out his plan for the harvest. So the first harvest were these 144,000 Jews who were of the first fruits, who were sinless because they were killed as babies, innocents. Now the second is what we're in. We're in the wheat harvest. On the day of Pentecost, they were to bring the loaves of bread, bacon with leaven. That means we come as we are. We don't try and clean ourselves up. We can't do it. The Jews must have been so surprised when Moses said on, on Pentecost, put some leaven in the... They must have said, but, but that represents sin. He said, yes, I know. That's what God told me. I don't understand it either. <laughs> but we come as we are, and he cleans us up. Hallelujah. And we know that there's a harvest there because in Matthew 13, he tells the parable and he says, let both grow together, talking about the wheat 
and the tares until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn. But gather the wheat. And he's very specific. He says wheat this time into my barn. And of course, in Revelation, which was the scripture that shows when the first resurrection ends, we're told specifically it was a resurrection. Let me just read it. And this is at the end of what the period we call the tribulation. It says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls, that means they, these people were dead, of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast neither his image. These mean, this means that they had been killed during the tribulation. Neither had received this mark and their foreheads or their hands. And now the Bible tells us something specific. It says, and they lived. That means they were brought back to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now it's because there are three different sets of scriptures that confuses people. That's why some people are in the pre tribulation camp, some are in the mid-tribulation camp, and some are in the post. What they don't realize is that it's all of them. There are three separate harvests that comprise the harvest year. And we're told specifically, if you read Revelation 20 verse 5, it says, this is the first resurrection. So it's telling us that the people who died at the end of the tribulation are in the first resurrection. When did the first resurrection start? We pointed that out last week. It started when Jesus arose because he was the first fruits of them that died. Amen. So let's just diagram that out for you. So the resurrection of the tribulation saints and the righteous dead of the Old Testament, right? Because we have two crops being harvested at the Feast of Tabernacles. What was it? Well, we had the barley, we had the wheat, but there's two at the end. Oil and the wine. How do you get oil? You have to crush something. You have to put pressure on it. How do you get wine? You have crushing. This symbolizes the two groups, the ones that go through the tribulation and the ones that died before Christ. And so we are told that all of those are in the first um, resurrection. And the first resurrection, of course, started with Christ. So that comprises the harvest year. It says that in Revelation 20 verse 4, And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead live not again. And this is very definitive. It says, until the thousand years were finished. It says definitively, this is the first resurrection. And that's why people divided into three camps. They said, well, this proves that the the first resurrection is at the end of the tribulation. Nobody's going to be resurrected till then. What they don't understand is that in giving the seven feasts and designating three of them as harvest festivals, God was showing his plan to gather in all the groups. The Jews first, the barley, the Gentiles as the wheat, and then at the end, those who had died before Christ and those who died during the tribulation. That is the harvest year, and the Bible tells us that it's the first resurrection. Now, the one of those groups that is unknown is the middle. We know when Jesus arose. We know, we'll know when it's the end, but what we don't know is the wheat harvest. That's the unknown day. And that's why I'm saying one of these days, the Bible says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And that's why some people 
think that it will be on a feast of trumpet because it specifically mentions the blowing of the trumpet. Amen. Wouldn't that be something? If I start thinking about that, I always get happy. Amen. Amen. So we see the Bible designates when the first resurrection finishes. No, no argument about that. It says definitively, this is the first resurrection. They were dead, they were beheaded, and now they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So they go into the next uh, dispensation, which is the um, millennium. So that is the harvest year. And we're going to look now. We started last week and we looked at the first fruits. We went through all the scriptures that showed that these babies that were killed are, are, are the same babies that are referenced in Jeremiah where it, it's told us that Rachel was weeping for her children. And it specifically in the New Testament points out to the prophecy in Jeremiah. But the next verse then says, don't weep anymore. The prophecy in Jeremiah says, don't, for they shall come again back into the land from the land of the enemy. Where is the land of the enemy? Death. Death. They shall come again. Don't, don't weep, uh, Rachel, because they shall come again. All these innocent children that were killed, they shall come again. See, God has a plan for everything. He's got this worked out. You don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about it. Amen. So we know that there's going to be this three and a half year period that's really called the Great Tribulation. There is a seven year period, but the last three and a half years is really the Great Tribulation, where the wrath of God will be poured out without measure. Without measure. You know, when I think about God, and I think him looking down on this world, and looking at the stuff that's going on, and how he created this beautiful, perfect place. We, we studied that, the garden. And what men will be doing to men, you know, all the things that have been happening. I was reading just the other day, and it was on the news, how they've been digging up the graves in Ukraine, and the torture, and the the things that they've been doing, you know, mutilation of people and just the wickedness of some people. God's wrath is being stored up. His, his wrath is being stored up and it's going to be poured out upon the earth. So what is the purpose of the rapture? Well, the purpose of the rapture is to take us out of here so that we do not suffer the judgment. And that's the reason is because the church is his bride. Destined, not destined for wrath. The Bible says is not appointed for wrath and must consummate the marriage. Because we are the bride, we get to go in the Jewish, in the Jewish wedding, there was a special room called a hoopah, where at the wedding, the bride and the groom would go in privately and consummate the wedding. And all the guests, I don't know how they did this, but all the guests would stay outside. <laughs> I, th I, I think that would be kind of inhibiting, but <laughs> but that's how they did it. And all the guests would stay outside waiting for them to come out, and they would bring the bedcloth, you know, to, with the blood, to prove that it had been consummated. Then there would be the marriage supper. So you understand in the symbolism of the Jewish wedding, we get taken up and we are the only ones the the wheat 
who actually go to heaven because the others are not in the bride. And I, I know I'm jumping ahead, but the church, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to study that today because this week it's on the wheat and the church. We, we studied the first fruits. Um, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, gave many parables to explain. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And so he, he, he portrays the, the rapture and the church as his bride. In Revelation 19, verse 9, it says, And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. This is the kind of wedding you will not be able to gate crash. You won't be able to just show up. You won't be able to just barge your way in because he told the parable of someone who tried to do that. And he said, friend, how did you get in here? You don't have on the wedding garment. And he was thrown out. You see, today when we have a wedding uh, and you, have some, you ask someone to stand up in your wedding, they're expected to go get their tux or their dress, right? In those days, when you had a wedding, you provided the wedding garments, not just for the people standing up, but for everyone you invited. So they had no excuse to not come with the wedding. We see this in the Old Testament when Samson was getting married. He had to provide 30 changes of garments because that was the custom. When you had a wedding, it was a big deal. It was a seven-day affair. And you had, to have, you had to provide the wedding garment and all the food and everything. And so this guy got into the wedding and he had no excuse. From whence comest thou? What's your excuse? I've, I've provided you the covering and you didn't take it. See, this is not going to be a wedding you can gate crash. It's by invitation only. You have to be a part of the, the bride. Amen. You have to be a part of the bride. See, the first reason is that we're going to be taken out of there is because we are going to be in heaven. The second reason, as I said, is because God's wrath is going to be poured out upon the earth. The same thing that saved Noah was the same thing that brought judgment. When the water came, what did it do to the ark? Lifted it up. That's what's going to happen when judgment comes. Isaiah twenty-four twenty-one says this. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones. What he's speaking about is all the spirits. The earth is going to become a prison. Earth is going to become a prison. And God actually modeled this already in the Old Testament. There was a reason he allowed Jacob and his sons to go to Egypt. Because Satan knew at that point where the promised land was going to be, Canaan. And he infested it, if you read the Old Testament, with all kinds of mutations and giants and all of that. And God had a purpose in taking Israel out because he wanted that to happen. And he brought them back to, dis to be used as instruments of his judgment. And that's why in the Old Testament they were told to destroy all these tribes because they were not human, basically, if you read it. When they came into Numbers, they said they saw all the giants there. And we find that there were mutations due to demonic forces. And God is 
predicting or the Bible predicts that that's exactly what's going to happen today. If you look at the scientific news, they are trying all kinds of things to change the DNA, the nature, the name of what is defined as mankind. They're growing cells with uh, altered DNA to give us new powers, right? Stop us dying. You too can live forever. The same lie that Satan told in the garden. Amen. But God is going to bring judgment. So in Isaiah, he prophesied that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones on high. That means the angelic beings that are fallen. And the kings of the earth upon the earth. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners. The earth is going to become a prison. And pit and shall be shut up in the prison. And after many days they shall be visited. First they're going to be locked up. And then God is going to destroy them when he returns. This is predicted in many, many scriptures in Isaiah 13, 9. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. We're in a a pretty dangerous place right now, and most of the world doesn't realize it. They're all asleep. They're all asleep. Uh, You see, Russia has been backed into a corner. And... He has a choice and he's been threatening it. And when we read in Revelation some of the things that are outlined, we see that billions of people in Revelation, the Bible says one-third, are going to die. But we're just going about our life, just like the ten virgins, all asleep. But the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon this planet. Verse 11, I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make man more precious than fine gold. Even a man than the golden wedge. What he's saying is there's going to be worldwide devastation. Therefore I will shake the heavens. And the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of the hosts. And in the day of his fierce anger. Just this week, NASA was trying to send a a spacecraft to hit a comet to test if they can divert it. The reason why they're doing that is because they fear that there's going to be a comet that's going to come and hit the Earth. And so they're trying to come up with ways to divert it. Why do you think that is? I'll tell you this, if they even knew there was one coming, they would not be telling us. You know why? It would cause such panic and worldwide uh, furor, so to speak. But you can see that they're trying to test against these things. But the Bible tells us that one-third of humanity is going to die through plagues, through famine, through natural events, and through wars. So the Bible speaks about this, this harvest that I'm talking about, the wheat harvest, in two types. As I said, the first reason for us to be taken is because we're his bride. We're not appointed for wrath. The second is there is going to be judgment on the earth. Now, the rapture speaks about two types of people. And Paul was asked this question by the Corinthian church to explain it. And so he's explaining what's going to happen. He says, but some will say, how are the dead raised? Because someone asked me, would you allow yourself to be cremated? I said, I don't care. Some of the early Christians were burned to shred, to crisp. And God is going to bring them back, so I don't care. 
He made me out of nothing in the first place. Amen? But they were asking, how, how can a dead person be raised? And if the body has dissolved, how is it coming back? Paul was a bit strong here. He said, thou fool. <laughs> that which thou sowest is not quick and not made alive. If you have a seed, you keep it on the shelf. Nothing happens for years. In fact, he says, until it is planted, nothing really happens. But when it's planted, something completely different happens. And God has modeled that for us in this thing called a butterfly and a moth and a, and a little caterpillar. The two things, if you were an alien, you'd say they're not the same thing. No way, no how. And yet one goes into a cocoon, this little creepy thing that crawls along the ugly and you don't want to mess with it. And he comes out something completely beautiful with wings. That's exactly what God has in store for us. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard what God has got in store. Uh, you know, I can't explain it. All I can say is Paul is trying to explain. He says, what thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that will be, but just a piece of grain. It may chance, you notice he uses wheat or of some other grain. But God is going to give you a body as it pleaseth him. And to every seed his own body. And what we look like now is going to be nothing. The Bible says, to the glory that shall be revealed in us. You know the story of the ugly duckling? You're all going to be beautiful. You know, I never had a six pack. <laughs> I don't know what I'll look like, but I do know this. The Bible says that we're going to have the glory of God dwelling in us. Just that should make you happy. My, my mother was asked, what are you going to look like? And she said, you're never going to be able to see me because I'm going to be just like Jesus. When he transfigured on the mount, all they could see was this brilliant light. They couldn't even look at him. When Moses came down from the mountain, his face shone that they were afraid of him. So the thing about the rapture is that when we are, the Bible says we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? We shall all be changed. The body which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and every seed his own body. That's what God is going to do. He's going to to take us. And the, the two types are the ones that die and the ones that are alive. And last week, I showed you how God modeled that in the transfiguration. When he went up the mountain, there were two people with him, right? Who were the two people that were with him? Moses and Elijah. One that died and one that didn't. <laughs> you see how he modeled it? But they were all upon the mountain with him. And the, even the way the scripture writes it, it is modeling the, the rapture, it says, and after six days, Jesus taketh them up. Up. That's what I'm praying for. I'm not going to say hoping because I'm praying for it to be when he says, come up. Amen. Hallelujah. Here is the scripture. Behold, I show you a mystery. It's not explainable by physics or by science. We shall not all sleep. Somebody is going to be alive when Jesus comes. 
My father and my mother passed away. But who knows, maybe I'll be alive. Maybe you will be alive. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as fast as you can blink. When it happens, we're going to be transformed. You see that, 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 that little grubby caterpillar goes in there and it takes, I think, six weeks for that thing to change. But God's going to do it in a twinkling of an eye. It goes inside the, the, the cocoon and they've cut them open in the middle and it's all this is a mush. How that happens is beyond any scientific explanation. God breaks that horrible looking caterpillar down and rearranges it to something completely different. Completely different. Don't even look even close. God is really showing us in that example what he's going to do. Here is something that crawls along the ground. Got a whole bunch of legs. No, no wings. And it goes into this thing and it comes out completely. That's exactly what God is going to do. He's, there is going to be a transformation, a change when he comes. He says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. One of the jobs I have to do as pastor is, you know, officiate at funerals. And we had two in the last three months. But the good thing about the two funerals we had is I know where they went and I know how they're going to come back. Amen. Sometimes I've done funerals of people I, I have no knowledge, no previous knowledge of. And in those cases, all I can say is that God is so merciful that in the very last judgment, he still has a book of life. But that one's a hard one because it means you're going to be judged out of your book, how you lived, what you did. Today, we can be judged by his book. And how he lived. I don't want anyone to read my book. There's some, there's, <laughs> there's some rough passages. <laughs> there's some things I don't want no one to know about. But that you don't have to read my book because he has given me his book. Amen. When we accept Jesus Christ, we get that covering of his life and what he did. And that's why it's saying, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? See, it's a mystery how this can happen. We, we've never seen it. We've only heard about it, that people have come back from the dead. But this is what is the promise of, of, of Jesus Christ, of the church, that we shall be raptured. Those that are alive are going to be changed. Those that are dead will come back. And we're all going to be changed and given a glorious body. Not subject to death, not subject to pain, not subject to hurt. In Revelation chapter 4 it says, And God shall wipe away all tears. When was the last time you cried? When the last time you said? Probably, who knows, maybe some of you this week. Huh? Some, maybe some of you cried about some stuff this week. There is coming a time if we put faith in Christ, if we truly give ourselves to him, if we truly put on that wedding garment, if we can make it into that harvest of the wheat, where we'll be, we will be changed. Amen. So that's we that are alive and remain. So Jesus now tells us the season that this is going to happen. He, he tells us this. We can know the season. We can't know the day or the hour. But he tells us the season. And if you've been studying, you'll understand this. 
In his parable in Matthew 24, 40, when he was asked, when are all these things going to be? The disciples said, when is this going to happen? Can you tell us? And he didn't tell them directly, but he gave them some, some hints. He says, then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Now, why should someone be in the field? What are they doing? It's the harvest season. Remember what I'm talking about. The harvest season. The reason they're in the field, it's the harvest season. So his coming is going to be at a harvest season. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. What are they grinding? That's right, because it's been a harvest. The one shall be taken and the other left. When men are in the field, when are women grinding? At a grain harvest. So that's why we pay attention to the seven feasts. That's why we pay attention to which one is coming up. And today, at sunset, is the Feast of Trumpets. Matthew 3, 12 says, speaking about Jesus, this is John the Baptist speaking about him, says, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat. See, there's a barley harvest, there's a wheat harvest, and there's oil and the wine. He will gather his wheat into the garden, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In Matthew 13, 25, Jesus was explaining uh, what was happening. He says that while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tears, weeds, among the wheat and went his way. So we know that this is a wheat harvest because he says it's a wheat harvest. But he said, Lay, let's, the, the, the angel said, shall we rip up the, the, the weeds? He says, no, let them all grow together. That's why this world is so wicked. There's a bunch of weeds out there as well. Let them both grow together until, until there is coming a harvest. There is coming a harvest. When does this happen? When does this happen? It's going to be until the time of the harvest. Let both grow together until the harvest. Amen? And it's a wheat harvest. Now let's look at this again, this chart. And I, I know I'm going to run out of time. I'm not going to finish this. We, we, we taught that every single feast represented a prophetic fulfillment. Passover was fulfilled literally when Jesus became the Passover lamb. And it was prophetic because the high priest in Mark 10, I believe, said it is better that one man should die for the nation than we all perish. And the Bible explicitly tells us something amazing. It says he was forced to say it. The Bible says he spoke this not of himself, but the Holy Spirit forced him to say it. Because it was the high priest, remember, who had to choose the sacrifice. He had to choose, and the, the Holy Ghost made him choose Jesus, designate Jesus as the lamb slain. It's quite amazing, but God's plan started to work out after thousands of years. The next great event is going to be something else. Church is going to be packed the day after the rapture. I'm trying to imagine what it will be like when it happens. I, I, what I think will be, there'll be so many other horrible things happening at that time that, that uh, people may not even understand. That some people will understand, but 
lots of people will not understand what's happening. The wheat harvest, if you look at this, is in the middle. It was on the day of Pentecost, right? They were to bring the wheat. After 50 days, they were to bring the wheat in. And before anyone ate of it, they had to present it. They had to bring it to the temple and wave it and present it to God as the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Amen. Now, as I said, we've been taught, me, I was taught growing up that the rapture would be on a feast of trumpets. And it may be, nobody knows. But it could also be on, a, on Pentecost. And the reason is, is because of the very first verse that we read. When, when it, was, it was Pentecost and Jesus came to Jerusalem the year before he was crucified... And it was Pentecost, and he told his disciples this. He said, you say there's yet four months to the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, look. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white. They're ready to be harvested now. So we can't say necessarily it'll be on the Feast of Trumpets. It could be any time. Because he was saying, even now. And then Jesus also said that he would shorten the days. Shorten the days. I firmly believe that there will be a nuclear war. There's been no weapon that man has invented that in the end he hasn't used. But you know what? God has put a break on it until all those who want the chance of salvation can be saved. He told his disciples that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all nations. The really, the really only real timing, he says, this gospel shall be preached to all nations and then shall the end come. God wants to make sure that everybody has a chance to hear the gospel message and then shall the end come. The, the third and last reason why God is going to take us out of here is because as I said, this place is going to get a mess. You think it's a mess now? The Bible predicts or says that there is coming upon the earth a time such as never was. That's, that's hard to believe. You look back in history and you look at what man can do to other men and you think, can it get any worse? Well, according to scripture, it can. Revelation 12.3 And there appeared another woman in heaven and behold a great red dragon. John was on the Isle of Patmos and he saw this vision. And in heaven he saw this woman. And then a great red dragon appeared, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And this great dragon drew a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was about ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. You understand that Satan wants to destroy you? The only way he can hurt God is to destroy you. He can't hurt God, but he can hurt you if he has the, ch the chance. And so the reason why we're going to be taken out of here is so that Satan can't get us. Because he was waiting for the child to be born. Now who is this child? And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up. And to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God. That they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. It gives us the exact time 
of three and a half years from the time the child is caught up till, till um, all of that is over. Now, who is this child? Well, we know, here's what scripture says. Romans 12, 5. So we being many are one body in Christ. If the child is Christ, we're part of the body. You get that? If the child is Christ and he's caught up, we're part of the body. It says in Ephesians 3, 6 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. You know there was a, a, a mega millions lottery about six weeks ago, 1.34 billion. You remember that? Heard about that? Well, nobody came forward for many weeks. Well, this week, two people came forward and, and claimed the prize, okay? They were hidden because they wanted to make sure they had everything together. We've been hidden and God is going to come and take us out of here. I'm sure once it becomes known who they are, they're going to have all kinds of third cousins riding them and seventh cousin removed. <laughs> but here's this. We are joint heirs. Joint heirs. We have an inheritance that can't be stolen, can't be taken. It says that the Gentiles, that's me and you, should be fellow heirs and of the same body. So if the body is Jesus that was caught up, symbolically, we get caught up too. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Jesus being the head, the chief cornerstone, together with the church, which is the body. You understand what I'm saying? The body was caught up before the dragon could get at it. Amen. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations because the Bible says we shall reign and rule with him. Now, the woman, of course, symbolizes Israel. And, of course, once this happens, they're all going to turn against Israel. You can see it happening. They've been threatening for days. We, we're going to see that. Bible says in Revelation 5.10 that he has made us, what, kings and priests. You know what a king does? He has a kingdom. Maybe one of you is going to rule Milwaukee. <laughs> of course, a lot of us don't want to rule Milwaukee. We want Bel Air or, or, <laughs> or somewhere nice. <laughs> but the Bible tells us that we are heirs and joint heirs. We have been called to be kings and priests. It's hard for us to believe that, but this is what scripture says. Amen. I'm going to rush because we just don't have enough time here. We're going to be finishing. I was going to go in and show you who the woman was, but we're going we're gonna to just jump to... Um, we're just going to jump to, uh, I have time. Okay. All right. All right. Let's go back then. So who is the woman? It's the one that gives birth to the church. Galatians 4.26. This is what Paul says. But Jerusalem, which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Where did the church start? Where did Jesus tell them to wait before he left? He said, go tarry, go wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He didn't tell them how long to wait. He just told them to go wait. They had no idea how long to wait. And as I said, I, this is my pure speculation now. We know that on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says there was 120. But in other scripture, in Peter, it tells us that Jesus' resurrection, or his, he was seen after he resurrected by over 500 people. So I'm just guessing that when he first left them, there was a lot more than 120 in the room. But some people 
gave up. Well, we've been waiting 20 days. How long are we supposed to wait for him to come? How long? Aren't we saying the same thing today? I've heard this all my life. He's coming. He didn't tell them how long. They just had to stay. They said, wait. I bet after 30 days, another 20 left. And after 40 days, maybe another 200 left. But in Acts chapter 2, it said, and when the day of Pentecost... God does things according to his time, not ours. There's coming a time when it's going to be the the day. It's going to be the hour. And it's those that remain and are alive. See, some people don't want to wait. They get impatient. So on the day of Pentecost, it was only 120 that was still there. But who to tell how many there was at the beginning? The Bible says he was seen by more than 500 people. After the resurrection. And he told them all, just wait. Just stay there, wait. See, and we don't know what time, but we've been given a command. Wait, wait. But Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Verse 5 of Isaiah 54 says, For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. Do you understand that the woman then represents both the city where Pentecost was born and Israel of the Jews? And the woman, of course, gives birth to the church because that's where the church started. Amen. Um, Isaiah 54 verse 8 says, In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Isaiah was writing to the Jews, In righteousness shalt thou be established, thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not, not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. See, once the church is taken, then all the enemy's efforts will be against the remnant, the Jewish remnant, which is what the Bible predicts. All he's telling us now is to wait, to wait. We don't know the day or hour, but we know the season. And if you've been listening to the news, it's the season. The Bible says that they would be sent a strong delusion because they don't want to believe the truth. The word of the hour is fake. Everything is fake. News is fake. See, people don't know what truth is anymore. That's fulfilling Bible prophecy. Bible said they would be sent a strong delusion because they don't want to receive the truth. Even when it's staring people in the face. Because if they received the truth, they'd have to change. They'd have to live their life differently. They'd have to acknowledge that there is something greater than yourself. That you were created for a purpose. That you weren't just born out of luck. It wasn't just because some people had a two-night stand. That, that may have been their purpose. But God can take something and make it into something else. Amen. He can take a little shepherd boy and make him king. See, none of us are famous. If you are, you're holding out on me. (laughs) But I tell you this. Jesus said, 
If you would confess his name, he's going to call your name. That'd make a great message title, wouldn't it? Jesus the name dropper. He's going to call your name, not in front of the president, not in front of some king. He's going to call your name in heaven. Your name's going to be called in front of the angels. You see, we've been called for a greater purpose. The Bible says we have to make our calling an election sure. Because there is a wheat harvest coming. There is a wheat harvest coming. What is the time? And what does the Bible tells us about the timing? It says, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that's what is translated, but in the Greek it really means a rebellion. A rebellion. And that man of sin... The, the one we've been hearing about for years called the Antichrist is revealed. So the scripture tells us that the rapture is not going to happen before the revelation of who this Antichrist is. But here's the thing. It may be like that. It may be you, you see who it is and then you're gone. There may not be a big gap. So don't think because you, you think you work out who it is. For that day shall not come except there come a rebellion or a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God and that is worshipped, so that as God sitteth in the temple. And the word it uses is a specific word in the Greek, naos. It's a specific word. And the reason why I highlighted it is because people are thinking that there has to be a physical temple built. But what God is speaking about is this temple. What it's indicating that this person will be possessed. There will be something sitting in the temple who calls himself God, who, who desires glory, who wants worship, who speaks elegantly. <laughs> There's a lot of characters out there like that right now. Naming no names. There's a lot of people who are worshipped, politicians who have cult-like followings. Not just in this country, but it's happening all over the world where the, 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 the democratic process is breaking down. It's moving towards dictatorship. What Paul says about that is that this person is going to sit in the temple and declare himself God. Now, I'm going to end with this, with this clue, and I won't have you stand, because my wife says I'll make you stand, and then I go on for another 10 minutes. So <laughs> I'm not going to make you stand, but I'm closing now. Here is the definitive clue when this happens. It's found in Revelation 12, 7. It says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. So Satan, according to scripture, still has access to heaven, but only on this basis, to make an accusation. He's up there saying, hey, your, 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 your man down there, your boy down there just messed up. What are you going to do about him? You're God. You're perfect. And he's messing up. Why don't you slap him? Why don't you bring... Ju That's his only basis. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He, his only right is to accuse us based upon God's law. And in the Old Testament, he had a lot of success. Because when people were caught, they were put to death. But you know, now he has no right. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. 
he's going to actually break out, you know, and go beyond just making accusations and try and, and take over. And I'm just going to read verse, from verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out of the earth, and his angels, his homeboys, <laughs> were cast out with him. Now, verse 10 is the definitive verse where we win. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, say it with me. When that now, when that angel says now, that's when it happens. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Because when he's cast out, we go up. When he comes down, we go up. We go up. It's almost simultaneous. He comes down to try and kill us and we go up. You may stand now. I'm finished. You may stand. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. As they say, if you're going to say testimony, you're going to have to say test. You don't get the testimony without first saying T-E-S-T. Therefore, rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. That begins the last three and a half years. We're, we're gone out of here when he comes down. And the Bible says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. For the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. You know when the eviction notice is given what the tenants do to the house? That's what he's going to do to this planet. Because he knows... He, the eviction notice has been, been given. So, you know, they tear off the sink. They, they knock down the walls. They put holes in everything. That's what he's going to do to this planet. But we will be out of here. You know why? Jesus said in John 14, 6, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house is a new house, new mansion. Amen. If it were not so, I would have told you. I want to encourage you. We've studied the harvest that it's soon. We need to make sure that we have been born of the water and born of the Spirit. Amen. That's what we need to make sure. So that when the time comes, we will be changed. We will be caught up and our name called. Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, let it find good soil in our hearts. Lord, we just thank you for speaking to us today. For increasing our faith. Lord, to look for your soon coming. We ask right now for your blessing on everyone under the sound of my voice. Lord, we ask for your power and revelation in our second service. Let your spirit flow. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Let's give God an offering of praise right now. Hallelujah.